reading Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. So if you have a Bible, please bring it out or we'll have it hopefully on the screen. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11 says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to help us work through this passage, hopefully through video, is Luke. Well, good morning, everyone. If you're watching this today and I am preaching on a screen, it's because COVID has finally got me. Uh, one of our children went down with COVID a week or so ago, so I decided that I was going to prepare today's message, knowing that I was supposed to be preaching and deliver it via video, just in case I wasn't able to be there to do it in person. So why don't we pray as we come round to the Word of God together this morning. Father God, I want to thank you and praise you for this opportunity to gather. Thank you for everyone who is in the room. Thank you for everyone who is watching online right now. And as we open up your Word today, may we hear your voice speaking to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today is the final part of our Family Matters series. And I don't know how you have found it, but I've been really blessed preaching through this sermon series along with Zoe over the past few weeks. It's been an encouragement. It's been a reminder to all of us. It's been a challenge about who we are and about why we do what we do and who we're called to be. It's given us some practical outworkings, hasn't it? And how we can focus on some of the difficult subjects that arise in church life. It's helped us really, once again, to focus on those things which are really important to us. And as we land this series today, we're going to be talking about a topic which each and every one of us is able to relate to. It's a lifelong struggle for us all. But if we're going to be a healthy church moving forward into this next season that God pulls us into, gaining an understanding of what we're getting at today is absolutely key. Because ultimately, the call of the church is to be a united 
body. And if that's the case, one of the greatest battles that we all face is this battle with selfishness, with pride, and with arrogance. Because here's the thing, in order to be the church that God calls us to be, humility is key. And as I stand here and I preach this message today, what I want you to hear is that I am a work in progress with this stuff. I haven't nailed this by any means at all. So I'm not standing here today preaching and saying, this is what you need to do. I'm saying this is what we need to do. The simple fact is that if we don't display humility by the way that we are, by the way that we act, and by the way that we love, and by the way that we speak to one another, will never actually be the church that God calls us to be. You see, we live in a world, don't we, which is always seeking to look after number one. You've only got to look at the adverts that we see on our TV screens to realise that actually humanity is incredibly self-focused. Buy this product and it will make you look better. Wear these clothes and they'll make you more popular. Spray this aftershave and you'll have the opposite sex flocking after you. You see, the adverts that we are subjected to on our TV screens tap into this basic human desire to look after number one. And it's a desire that we've all had from the word go, isn't it? From the moment that we were born, we want other people to meet our demands. A baby cries because they are in need of feeding or changing. Toddlers may misbehave when their parent is giving their brother or sister more attention. And they keep doing it until the parent relents and gives in to their behaviour. And as children grow, they demand the same privileges, at least in equal proportion to their siblings, but preferably greater. As adults, we want the highest paid jobs, the most comfortable homes, and the best cars. And we're willing to go to often considerable lengths in order to get these things, often using other people in the process. But what Paul wants to point out today is that in all of these things, these things which we think will improve our lives, they don't in the long run. The thing which helps us to improve who we are is actually to focus on those around us. It's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 20, 26, when he said, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. I love the book of Philippians. It's a book which is so full of joy, despite the circumstances that Paul finds himself in. Paul was in prison. He is in chains for the gospel. His situation looked incredibly, incredibly bleak. And yet, because of his trust in God, he was able to rejoice despite the circumstances that he faced. He reframes his situation, and instead of allowing the bleak nature of what is going on around him to get him down, he sees it as an opportunity to preach the gospel to the guards who are chained with him. And in chapter 1, Paul focuses uh, on the situation that he finds himself in. He did this for a number of reasons. He did it because he had friends in Philippi who he knew were deeply concerned about him and he wanted to reassure them. But he also wanted to see that the circumstances that he faced, despite them, the gospel was still true and the gospel was still going out in the way that God always intended it to because God was still on the throne and the message of hope was still prevalent. The gospel was still advancing. But here in chapter 2, looking at the passage that we've read together this morning, Paul turns his attention to the church in Philippi. He is always concerned 
about the church. And what we see is the tone that Paul writes in here really is a gentle corrective tone. You see, the church in Philippi were doing so many things right and so many things well. But because of the pastor's heart, which Paul had, he wanted them to go even further. You know, I love hanging out with encouraging people. People who are going to speak words of life into my life. People who are going to cheer me on. People who are going to say, Luke, come on, you've got this, you can do this. They're so life-giving. But you know, the greatest kind of encouragement that we can receive, it's not empty platitudes. It's that type of encouragement which spurs us on to be better than we currently are. And that's what Paul does here. He's saying to the church, church, you've got so much right. You're doing so many things well. But there's just this one thing that if you were to grasp it, it would complete you and utterly change everything about the way you live, the way you love, and the way you act. And that thing is humility. Notice the little word which is used a number of times in this brief passage, that little word, if. The word is an assumptive word here. Paul is assuming that these qualities that he's talking about here at the beginning of chapter 2 are already present in the life of the church. He's effectively saying, I know you have encouragement in Christ. I know that you have comfort in his love. I know that you're sharing in the spirit. I know that there is tenderness and compassion. So make my joy complete and be united together. Why is this so important? Well, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the believers, and in doing so, he prays for future believers too. He prays for us here at Hope Baptist Church when he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed that his church would be united. Not some sort of shallow unitedness where we pretend to get along when we're in a building together on a Sunday, but then we talk about each other behind our backs the rest of the week. But he prays for his people that they would have the same kind of unity that he has with the Father. Why? He says, so the world may believe in Jesus. So the world may believe in the message of hope. It's unity that we find genuine evangelism happening as God always intended it to happen. Because people look at the church and they look at our conduct towards one another and they say there must be some truth in this because I can see the way that Jesus' followers act and behave towards one another. And we see the practical outworkings of this in scripture, don't we? If we were to look at Acts chapter 11 together, for example, we would see the church Antioch, which was a large melting pot of people from all different walks of life. And then we read in Acts 11, 25 and 26, these words. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It was here in Antioch that the term Christian was first used to describe the people of God. In some ways it was given as a derogatory term, but it was given to the people because Others looked at this strange group of people. They saw how they conducted themselves. They saw how they behaved 
towards one another. They saw the unity despite their diversity and it baffled them. So the only term that they could give this strange group of people was a term which described the thing which seemingly united them, Christ. So when we're talking about humility, when we're talking about unity, what are the keys? If this sermon series that we have embarked on over the past few weeks is going to have any impact on our lives, not just whilst we're studying it, but in the long term too, what are the things that we need to take away from this? The first key to having humility, having unity and disbanding pride and arrogance may come as no surprise to you. If we're going to be humble, if we're going to walk united, we must be other people centred. It was Christmas Eve 1910. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army in London, England, was near the end of his life. His health was poor and he was going to be unable to attend the army's annual convention that year. Booth had become really, really poorly and his eyesight was failing. No one knew that he would not live to see another Christmas. And someone suggested that maybe General Booth sent a telegram or a message to that convention in order to encourage the soldiers of the Salvation Army that even though he wasn't attending that Christmas, that their labours were not in vain ministering to the people that they ministered to through the holiday season. Booth agreed to do so. But knowing that funds for the Salvation Army at this time were limited and desiring not to use any more money than necessary because sending a telegram was an expensive business, he gave a one-word message. He searched his mind and he reviewed the years of his ministry, looking back over that time for a word which would summarise what he wanted to say. When the thousands of delegates met, the moderator announced that Booth was not able to be present at this conference because of his ill health and his failing eyesight. Gloom and pessimism swept across the floor of that convention. Then the moderator announced that they had a message from Booth and he opened the telegram and he read the one word message. Others. We see that in so many examples in scripture, don't we? Just how important it is for us to focus on others. We see in the life of Jesus when he saw a crowd of 5,000 people, what did he do? He had compassion on them and he started to teach them and he started to heal the sick. But then he went further than that and he fed 5,000 men that day and many women and children too. When the woman at the when the woman who had been bleeding for 12 whole years could do nothing about her situation and no one could do anything to help her either that she had become a societal outcast, what did Jesus do? He stopped and he healed her. He gave her her dignity back. Jesus cleansed lepers. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. The entire life of Jesus was others-centred. Even when he hung on a cross, naked, bloodied and bruised, his life ebbing away, what does he do? He cries out, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
You see, it's when we all practice this, when we begin to display this kind of humility, the kind of humility that Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 2, thinking of others more important than ourselves, it leads to mutual love and mutual unity. Because suddenly, what's important is not my wants, not my needs and not my desires. Because we take on a different mindset. We begin to display the heart of God to a world which is in so much desperate need. What we're talking about is incredibly countercultural. In a world which essentially says it's all about me, 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 as Christians, our focus should be it's all about you, you, you. Paul is not saying that we should neglect our needs, but what he is saying is that there is freedom that Christ has given us, that we can develop a mindset of faith which says, I know God will provide for all of my needs according to his riches in glory. So in turn, I'm going to seek to do the same for others. The first key to living a humbled, unified, counter-cultural life, which speaks to a world of a God who loves them, is that we need to be a people who are others-centred. Who is God calling you to lavish his grace upon today? The second key to humility and unity is that we need to be a people who are serving-orientated. Have you noticed how much of this idea of serving comes out in this sermon series that we've been preaching over the past few weeks, whether it's been overtly focused on or maybe much more subtle like last week when we were talking about how we welcome each other. The verse in 1 Peter, if you remember that we talked about together last week, that verse offering hospitality without grumbling went on to say that each of us should use the gifts that we have to serve others. Why? Has serving come up so much in the context of this sermon series? There's no hidden agenda to get all of our rotors filled, I can assure you. Although, if you want to get involved in the life of the church, we are always happy to talk to you and talk about how you can serve in the way that God is calling you to here in this place. But when we think of the life of Jesus, once again, what we see is that he lived a life based around service. Matthew 20, 26 to 28 says... It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 13, 3-5 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If we're going to be a radically counter-cultural people, if we're going to be truly united, if we are going to be humble in the way that we act, if we're going to truly think of others higher than ourselves, in order to be effective gospel witnesses, we cannot sit on the gifts that God has given us. How is God calling you to serve right now? Who is God calling you to serve right now? The final key is that we need to be obedience focused. Paul said to the Philippian church, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself of nothing, of no reputation, and took on the very form 
of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love the picture that Paul paints for us here. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam saw this opportunity to be like God. He was told, wasn't he, if you eat off that tree, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And what did he do? He grasped at it. But Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped at, but he humbles himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In fact, Jesus' entire life was centred around obedience to his Father. We read these words in John 5, verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And in the Garden of Eden, not in the Garden of Eden, we just talked about that one, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was his most stressed, he got down on his knees and what did he do? He prayed a prayer which still blows me away. He said, Father, if it's possible to take this cup from me, then please do it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you see how Jesus offers us this perfect countercultural model of humility and unity? Do you see how Jesus offers us this perfect countercultural model in order for the church to thrive and be the people that God has always called us to be? If we're going to be that church, then we must think of others more highly than ourselves. We must learn to serve one another and we must be obedient to the call of God on our lives. What is God telling you to do, I wonder, that you have been putting off? Perhaps it's to show love to someone, to extend grace, to offer forgiveness, to go the extra mile for someone. Perhaps God is calling you to get involved in a certain ministry or even to start one. As we draw this sermon series to a close, our heart in preaching this sermon series is to see our church thrive and flourish in the next season ahead. We've looked at how we love one another better, how we encourage one another, how we lift each other up in prayer, how we give, how we serve, how we disagree well and how we resolve conflict. And as we move forward together this year, let's commit, let's really commit to practising what we preach, each and every one of us, recognising that we are all works in progress. That as Philippians Chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that he has started a good work in us and he promises to complete it. So in all of these things, the response this morning is simple. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and ask the question, which one of these areas, Lord God, today are you calling me to grow in? Which area in my life individually and for us corporately do we need to choose to strive in, to strive for? But whatever that might be, church, let's be a church which chooses to strive for unity. Let's set aside our pride, our personal wants, our personal desires for the sake of others. Knowing that when we do, we can begin to fulfil the great commission that Jesus calls us all to.
Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you for your church. We thank you and praise you for this family. Thank you that you've called us to this family. And Lord, in the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs, help us to walk together. Not abandoning things when it gets tough, but seeking to be the genuine, true expression of your church here in Peveril. Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.